a lot of people just think, hey, virtual assistant is anyone that works from home. But for me, I want to define it, especially for people that follow me so that, I, that they know what I'm talking about. So what I like to do is divide it up between the followers, the doers, and the experts. You're listening to the Kniep and It Real Jodcast. This is your host, Seth Kniep. Guys, I'm so happy to have Nathan Hirsch on this podcast. Nathan and I have talked a lot over the past few years, here and there and everywhere. And the reason this is really special is you're about to hear how he sold an eight-figure business completely run by virtual assistants. Now, if you don't know what a virtual assistant is, that is someone who is not working for you as a full-time employee, but as a contractor. Oftentimes, they're located in other countries around the world. Therefore, your costs are greatly reduced. And some people get nervous about that. How do I run a business with a virtual assistant? I never seen them face-to-face. How do I know I can trust them? What about the culture burial? Are there language barriers? All these things. And yet somehow, Nathan Hirsch has found a way to make that happen. So Nathan, welcome to the Jodcast. Welcome. Yeah, thank, thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. I love talking about business and scaling and hiring, so it should be a lot of fun. And I think you guys watching or listening are going to really enjoy this. You are about to hear a conversation between three entrepreneurs, Josiah, my business partner, myself, Seth Kniep, Kniep and It Real, and Nathan Hirsch, the man. And I'm telling you guys, we have, we have lived and suffered and gone up and down and through the struggles of what it means to be an entrepreneur. We're just going to give it straight to you raw, what to expect, what to prepare for. Like, I think this is going to be a really cool conversation. <laughs> and I'm so happy to have you here, man. It's going to be fun. And I like how you do everything with virtual assistants. Now, I don't know if that's making my staff nervous who listen to this <laughs> right now because they're here in the office. it's funny because we have a lot of members of outsource school who have u.s staff and i don't i can't remember one time where they just went in and fired their u.s staff and replaced them by virtual assistants that's usually not what happens usually you look at your u.s staff and you say hey i'm paying you fifty thousand dollars a year i want you to do fifty thousand dollar a year tasks i'm going to get you a virtual assistant or two virtual assistants and help them be more productive and they're going to enjoy that so i think a lot of people get scared off by outsourcing i'm going to lose my job and all of that but it almost never goes down that way let me ask you this right out the gate and for you guys listening right now if you're starting a business you want to think about this your biggest expense other than taxes like we covered a few podcasts back is going to be staff a major expense. It's going to be one of the hardest things you'll ever do. Heartbreaking at times, but also rewarding. So the question is, could you just tell us right now, Nathan, what are the biggest advantages of having a virtual assistant versus a full-time employee? And don't be worried. My staff, they're cool. They know I love them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the average virtual assistant out of the Philippines, which is where I hire from, costs between 5 and $7 an hour. Now, that their minimum wage in the Philippines is over tw- is only $12 a day. So hmm. you're actually giving them a fantastic opportunity and you don't have to pay people poorly. I had virtual assistants at FreeUp that I was paying over $20 an hour. When we sold FreeUp, we took $500,000 from the sale and gave it to our internal team in the Philippines. So hmm. you can treat people well, but you can create a win-win where you save money and they make more money. Yeah, that's now, a really good perspective. So just real quick, 
Yeah. So people don't feel like, oh, we're taking advantage of people in other countries who don't know better. They're actually living like kings and queens over there because we're leveraging the American economy to pay them better. And it's advantage to us because we're saving on costs, which raises our profits, which allows us to grow more, which ultimately provides jobs for everyone. I like it so far. Yeah. And there's other factors for them too. I mean, driving to work in the Philippines is a hassle. I remember when I went there uh, once we waited in traffic for like an hour and a half to drive two miles. It was crazy. So they get to work from home. They get to be around their family more and they get to create multiple income streams if they have part-time clients, not depending on one client. And you can use that to your advantage on the hiring side. I mean, I, when we sold free up, we had 35 full-time remote virtual assistants. I didn't just wake up one day and hire 35 full-time people. I started off small. I I hired someone for five hours a week and then our business grew and I increased it to 10 and I hired a second assistant. So you get a lot of flexibility that you don't have if you go back 20 years ago where you needed to hire someone in the US full-time. You needed an office to put them. They need to be in town. HR policy, employee handbook. But I, I have a problem with this. Let me share it with you. What if there, you mentioned they could work another job at the same time. They could be multiple streams of income. Doesn't that make you nervous? Aren't you worried that they're going to be, you know, half-hearted devoted to what you're doing, or maybe they're working for a competitor and you're in, you end up training your own competition. How do you handle that? Yeah. So not working at the exact same time, but if I'm hiring someone for five hours a week, I am not naive enough to think that I'm going to be their only client and they're (laughs) not going to provide for their family in other ways. My goal, and this is what we teach people at Outsource School is I want to be my virtual assistant's favorite client. That's my goal from day one, because if I'm their favorite client, even when I'm small, when I get bigger, I'm going to go to that virtual assistant. I'm going to say, hey, what other clients do you have? Actually, I'm going to know what clients I have already, but did anything change? What's your schedule? What are you making on those other clients? And I'm going to try to make them exclusive to me. Uh Now, if I want to upfront, and I always encourage this, if you can afford it, hire them full-time exclusive upfront, pay them uh, whatever it takes to make that happen if you can. But if you're a startup and you're starting at five hours a week, focus on becoming their favorite client and then have that conversation later and try to make them full-time and exclusive if that makes sense for you. So you straight up ask them how much they're making from other employers. Yeah. So I, my virtual assistant laid in at FreeUp, who's a rock star. We hired her uh, 30 hours a week and she had another client that was 30 hours a week. So she was working 60 hours a week. I wanted to make her a team leader. And I went up to her and I said, hey, what's it going to take to make you a team leader to have you drop that other client? I said, think about it. Get back to me tomorrow. She came back. She says, hey, if you give me a dollar and a half raise, I'll drop that other client and be full time to you. Boom, done. Easiest business decision ever. And it worked out amazing. And she got a large payout when we sold free up and she's still with free up and all that. So those are the conversations that, that I like to have. That's awesome. So I would like to ask you a different question, very different, but I love this topic and I know this is something close to your heart, Nathan. We'll get back to virtual assistants in a second. And I think everyone listening is gonna love this question. What is the difference between a follower, a doer, and an expert? And I'm gonna add on something to that. Which one should we as entrepreneurs aspire to be? Yeah. So, I mean, as an entrepreneur, so these, these are high types of people that you can hire. So when, when people say virtual assistant, this is really is a virtual assistant question. Yeah. A, a lot of people just think, hey, virtual assistant is anyone that works from home, anyone that works remote, anyone that's a contractor. Totally stereotypical. <laughs> yeah. Which is fine. Like everyone can have their own There's definition. To it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Right. 
but for me, I want to define it, especially for people that follow me so that, I, that they know what I'm talking about. So what I like to do is divide it up between the followers, the doers, and the experts, where if I say virtual assistant, I am just talking about the followers. These are okay. 5 to $10 an hour, non-US. Mm-hmm. They're there to follow my systems, my processes. Even if they have 10 years of customer service experience, if I hire them for customer service on my team, I have to show them how I want it done. And if I don't have processes, I can't hire those followers. Then you got the doers, the graphic designers, the video editors, the writers. I'm not teaching a graphic designer how to be a graphic designer, yeah. but I'm also, they're not consulting with me either. They're there to do that one task. They do eight hours a day. I'm usually trying to build a Rolodex of these doers that I can go to over time so that I'm not interviewing every time I need a project done. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the experts, the high-level freelancers, consultants, agencies, coaches, they could be $100,000 an hour, they could be $1,000 an hour, right. but they're coming to me with their strategy, their systems, their processes. And just like I wouldn't hire a follower and say, hey, I don't know how to run Facebook ads, go run my Facebook ads. Right. I wouldn't hire an expert and say, hey, you got 10 years of experience doing it your way. You've had success. I'm going to pay you top dollar, but I'm going to teach you how to do it my way. That doesn't make sense either. So I think a lot of entrepreneurs need to figure out which do I really need right now, the follower, the doer, or the expert. So you've really just destroyed the stereotypical virtual assistant idea. Like you've just blown it out of the water. Like even for me, like, oh my goodness. So you're, you just said an expert could be a virtual assistant, a consultant who charges a thousand dollars an hour or whatever that, that is. And you're going to them for advice, someone who is more advanced than you are and you're paying them for their services, but they're still a virtual assistant. So let's just go back for a minute. Please define for us, what is a virtual assistant then? <laughs> so virtual assistant is just a, a title. I, I personally would not call an expert a virtual assistant just because <laughs> they probably wouldn't like that. Um, but w- w- for me, the followers are the virtual assistants. And these are real people, right? They don't always fit into perfect categories. And at the end of the day, I, it doesn't really matter what you call them. If I call someone my team leader or my project manager or my chief of staff, like whatever the role is, is, is what actually matters. But where a lot of entrepreneurs mess up is they don't divide up the tasks in their business between the followers, the doers, and the experts. And they don't know, hey, should I hire someone who can teach me? Should I hire someone to follow my directions? And that makes it really tough to hire when you don't know whether you need a follower, doer, or an expert. So it's more like a strategy to categorize and break down what kind of help do I need, right? It's custom for every business too, you know, because for you, it's totally different than what we need. Like for some of our staff, we need full-time people here in our office, but in other positions, we can get VAs. Like for example, one of our VAs, does he researches products for us and he lives in India. Right. So that's just an example, but it's very custom. So what you're saying, what both of you are saying is you have to do it based on the needs of your business. It's not like a one size fits all approach. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, take an Amazon seller, like every Amazon seller specializes in something different. Some are good at PPC, some are good at listing, some are good at product research. And so if you're really good at listing, create a system for how you write listings and outsource that to a VA. If you are terrible at listings, well, guess what? You still need to write listings. If you want to sell on Amazon, you need to hire the doer or the expert to come in and write those listings for you. So does the follower need to be trained in the expertise, the actual craft? Because it sounds to me like the doer knows what they're doing. The expert knows what they're doing. They're just advanced. The follower is someone who's kind of green. And so you need to train them. Am I understanding that correctly? 
Not necessarily. I, I mentioned an example. If someone has five years of Amazon e-commerce customer service experience, mm-hmm. I wouldn't call them green, but they might have two other clients who do customer service completely differently than the way that I do. So right. you can always hire someone new and teach them from scratch. I don't necessarily recommend doing that. Uh, but I think that there's a, a lot of risk in teaching someone how to do Amazon, then how to do customer service, then how to do customer <laughs> service in your business. Right. It's right. just a, a lot Three of investment levels. that yeah. That has to go right. Um, but you can, I always try to hire virtual assistants that have experience, but then I can show them my system, my process. And then the good ones, they take my process and own it and build onto it. And then I eventually make them team leaders. So hmm. for me, help me then distinguish the difference between a follower and a doer. Yeah, the doers are, are more specialists. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're doing one specific thing at a high level. I, they could be doing Amazon listings. They could just be writing blog posts. It could be video editing. It could be graphic designer. Right. You, most businesses are not hiring full-time graphic designers. Some do, but for the most part, uh, people are, my, like I have two graphic designers that are both just on-call. I don't give them on-call and urgent tasks where they just have to drop what they're doing and work for me, but I'll go to them and say, hey, I have a project. Who can get to it first? Sushima says, I can. She gives me a due date. She gives me a due time. I say, cool, you're good to go. My goal there is not to teach her how to do graphic design. My goal is to get what's in my head of what I want clearly to her so that she can come up with a rough draft and I can give feedback and revise it. So usually the, the followers are have to do with the either the operations or the marketing of your business where the doers have to do with one specific thing that you're doing for your business. Got it. Decide. Do, do you have any questions? No, that makes sense to me. Um, the next one on here, Seth, says setting up your VA budget. So what are your thoughts on setting up a budget for VAs? So I like to break down hiring into four different parts. You've got interviewing, onboarding, training, and managing. But before you do any of that, there's some things you should do before you even interview someone. Part of it is understanding the differences between the followers, the doers, and the experts. That's Mm -hmm. one part of it. The next part of it is figuring out what your budget is. So the average virtual assistant costs between five to eight bucks an hour. Some are less, some are more, but that's a, a pretty good ballpark. And if you've never hired before, it's a lot more expensive to make hiring mistakes with an expert and a doer than it is to make a hiring mistake with a virtual assistant. So Absolutely. Start, starting with the virtual assistant usually a good place to start. Figuring out how much money you make in a given month on average, then deciding how aggressive or how conservative you want to be. And we have a, a VA calculator if you go to outsourceschool.com slash VA calculator, but you can do the math yourself. Figure out how much money you make, how aggressive you want to be. I usually spend between 20 and 25% of my profit on hiring. You could be more, you could be less. And then figuring out, okay, if the average virtual assistant is, let's say seven bucks an hour, because you might give some bonuses and stuff like that. And I make X amount of money and I want to be X aggressive. Okay. I can afford two full-time VAs or one part-time VA. And that's going to stop you from making the mistake that I used to see all the time at FreeUp, where someone would train a virtual assistant, realize they can't afford a virtual assistant, and that just Hmm. wastes a ton of time and a ton of money. So understand the different levels and figure out your budget. Would you say that the amount of money that you pay per hour, the hourly rate, as it increases, you get what you pay for? So for example, if the average in a certain category, let's just say graphic design for VAs, is seven per hour, do you tell people, hey, if you want to get a really good graphic uh, designer, then you should do 20% more than that or something like that, like 10 per hour. Is that usually the case or does it just depend on the person? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a combination of both. I mean, there's definitely you you get what you pay for on some level, but there's also different ways to create win-wins that don't have to do with price because everyone thinks that your favorite hire is going to be the, or your favorite client is the one that pays you the most. That's not always the case. I have a really great deal with my video editor who costs below seven bucks an hour. If he was in the US, who I don't even know how much it would cost and <laughs> he charges his other clients more. But the reason is, is because he knows that I'm respectful of his time. I'm never going to go to him and say, hey, drop what you're doing, work for me right now. Right. I'm going to give him a project. I don't care when he does it, as long as he gives me the due date, the due time, and he hits it. And that is great because that complements all his other clients mm. who are way more aggressive, mm-hmm. way more unreasonable than I am. So because of that, I got a lower rate. So there's some exceptions to that rule. But yeah, you shouldn't expect a $5 an hour video editor to do the same work as a $100 video editor. And if they right. are, then you have some decisions to make to, to get a different higher end video editor. What's interesting is you're not just looking at the cost. Like, here's how much I need to pay per hour for this VA, this virtual assistant. You're also looking at other negotiating or negotiable factors like, okay, consistent work. There's one. How much lead time do you give them when you give them a new project, like you just mentioned? Or even you may not even have a deadline. Just give me a deadline that works for you. As long as you know he will get it done, you're happy. That's really cool. Or full-time versus part-time. You know, hiring one full-time versus two part-time. Well, if you have one full-time, you can get their exclusive devotion to you and what you're doing versus they're being split between other employers. Yeah. And what you're saying too is it's about the qualities of the person because most employees, and I'm talking about employees, but I'm sure it applies to VAs as well, leave companies not because of the benefits or the salaries, but it's because of the people they're working with. And that's usually the most important thing. Obviously, money is very important. Right. But if you get the right people and they really like working with you, then you can negotiate a really good deal with them. Yeah. I mean, that's that statistic has definitely been proven in the US that people leave companies. I mean, I left Apple, had nothing to do with the pay, even though I didn't like the pay. It had everything to do with my manager, which set me mm-hmm. on my mission of doubling my dime. And think about that. What what my manager did that was so wrong. Now we manage over a hundred million in Amazon revenue annually. Like that's just insane to think about that. That horrible situation turned to this. But here's my question, Nathan. With VAs, what is the main reason they leave? Is it the same reason Josiah mentioned? Good question. So so we have this method that we call the, the BARF method, which is a funny acronym that we spent months <laughs> we trying to make it. it. <laughs> we won't forget we, it. <laughs> yeah. We tried to make it come out to something else, but we finally just gave up and, and went with it. But it stands for getting them to buy in, showing appreciation, building relationships, and creating a family. And four things, that's how you reduce turnover. It's not about money. Now, yes, if you're lowballing someone, money is obviously a factor on some level. But if you show them the why of your business, why you mm-hmm. started this business, who you're trying to help, how whatever they're doing plays a part in it, what their long-term vision is for the business. If you show appreciation and you don't just be the client that just goes to them whenever they mess up and calls them out whenever they make a mistake and you say, hey, that's a great job. Hey, that work you did, this is how it helped my business. If you build a relationship with them where you get to know their family, their kids, what their favorite movie is, what the what books they're reading, And then you create a family inside your business because people in the Philippines and and people in general, but in the Philippines, they're all about family. They have large families, their churches, their family, they have outside communities, their family. If you get the team to like each other and and get to know each other and become a family, then 
there's always going to be that other client who can pay your virtual assistants more money than you can. But when they get that offer, hmm. they're going to look back and say, hey, I love Nathan as a client. At the very least, they're going to come to me and right. this has happened. Right. They said, hey, I just got this other job offer. It's really tempting. I love working here. Like, What can we do to, to make it happen to stay here? And, and that's really what you want. Let's, let's walk through those four stages. I'm almost thinking we can entitle this episode how to run your business entirely on VAs, which is phenomenal. I mean, really quick, uh, before I even get to that, how much money can a company save using VAs versus employees? Like, do you have any percentages or numbers or grids on that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the average, let's say $50,000 a year for a US employee, which really right. costs you 70,000. Way more, right? benefits, benefits, all that, taxes. insurance, yep. Right, so the average virtual assistant, like I said, five bucks an hour, if I make them a team leader, you're in that eight to ten dollar an hour range. And this is the real key because let's say that you're you try to hire for those follower positions in the US. This is what ends up happening. You hire a customer service rep for 15 bucks an hour in the US, which isn't a high rate, isn't a low rate. It's just kind of like the average rate. Yeah. You train this person, you invest time, energy, money into making them and best case scenario, they become a rock star customer service uh, US employee. How long are they really going to be happy at $15 an hour? Eventually, they're right. going to want 18, want 20, more. 25. Yeah. Right. And, and then you, you just have a tough decision to make. Do I drastically overpay for customer service or do I let them go and start all over and waste more time and money? Real quick, I'm going to ask you a political question. You can decline answer it or not, but I really want to know, are Americans a little more entitled than a lot of people in countries from, uh, who are VAs? The only thing that I'll say is, is I gave up hiring U.S. employees. For <laughs> well, that, well, that, that pretty answers it. That pretty much <laughs> no, and I'm not saying all are. Our yeah. staff are amazing. But there right. is there are many Americans who have a sense of entitlement. I'm not saying employers should not pay them well. That is not my point. Of course they should. But a sort of a, a demanding attitude versus, wait a minute, let's partner together and work together. Let's make sure this is mutually beneficial versus you're just here to serve me and that's it. So, okay, I, I really want to, I want to break this down. So you mentioned average salary around 50,000 a year in America. That's a very, I think that's a very generally safe number, okay? More like 70,000 when you include the taxes and the insurance and everything else. Now check this out. At $5 an hour, just doing 40 hours a week, VA, that is 10,400 in annual expenses. Are there any other expenses we need to know about for a VA? Well, here's the best part. I mentioned that that $15 an hour person will leave if you don't increase their rate. Right. Well, that $5 an hour VA, if they're a rock star, give them a $2 raise. Give them a $4 raise. That's they're a huge raise to them. That's a huge raise to them. That's insane. Right. Hmm. You're already making $5 an hour. You get a $2 an hour. That's like almost 50% raise. Like we're, I mean, at it's Apple, huge for them. I got like a 2% raise. And I was like, woohoo. Right. I mean, <laughs> that's insane. And what's cool is because you're, depending on the country, you're right. in the US and they're in the Philippines or India where the dollar goes really far. So for you, it's not a huge deal. Like it's right. not a huge raise, but Absolutely. for them, it's humongous. It's like 40, 50%. So just to make sure we understand, $70,000 a year versus $10,400 a year. What am I comparing? A, a, a An average pay or cost for an employee in the US versus a VA. So you, you mentioned several times, you know, $5 an hour, $8 an hour. What countries are we talking about? Because every company has a different dollar value. Right. So I, I personally like hiring from the Philippines. It's great for someone like me who only speaks English, although I'm learning Vietnamese, but that usually doesn't apply to, to business. That's really uh, cool. But 
Thank you. So you, I hire from the Philippines. They speak English at a high level. They are used to working U.S. hours. Call centers are one of the most popular jobs there, U.S. call centers. So getting someone to work my hours is not as big of a deal. Um, I mentioned the whole family dynamic, which I really like. But here's the thing. like Everything we teach at Outsource School, you can go to India. You can go to South Africa. You can hire really good people everywhere. But what I like to tell people, if you've never hired a VA before, don't go out and hire two people from the Philippines, two people from India, two people from South Africa. You're just adding a ton of work to your plate. (laughs) There's going to be a a culture learning curve that you're going to have to deal with at some point. So if you're going to have, if you're going to hire VA, start with one country and the Philippines is a great place to start. Dude, that sounds like something I would do, doesn't it, Josiah? Hire two people from India, two people from South Africa, just do it like all out and just hire as many people (laughs) as we can. And then Josiah's like, why did you do this? (laughs) Yeah. I love it. So, okay, let's go back to the four steps. And I want everyone who's listening, this is awesome. When you bring someone on, you interview them first to find out, you know, who, who are they? Are they the right fit? Is it a cultural fit, et cetera? Then you onboard them. So you bring them into the culture of your company, make sure they have the right tools. Then you train them so they understand how to use those tools and what's expected. And then of course you manage them, the ongoing accountability, tasks, deadlines, et cetera, all that. What are the biggest mistakes at each of these stages that employers tend to make, Nathan? Yeah. So whenever someone comes to me and says, man, like my VA is calling, causing all these issues, it's not working out. My first question is, how did you onboard them? Because that's a step that every entrepreneur misses. Most people know you have to interview someone before you hire them. Most people know you have to train right. a VA. That's a given. Most people know yeah. you have to manage them. So I'll give you an example. What, what most people do is they go to Jane and they say, hey, Jane, that was a great interview. I want to hire you at five bucks an hour. Let's start on Monday. What we teach people to do at Outsource School is go to Jane and say, hey, Jane, that was a great interview. I want to hire you at five bucks an hour. First, let's make sure you're really good with five bucks an hour. Maybe she got another job offer. Maybe her other client's paying her 10. I want to make sure she's 100% happy at five. Hmm. Then I want to talk to her about- Real quick, before you you go on. So I have a question on that. So, okay, I'm Jane. So thanks, Nate. That sounds great. And you say, how would you, I'm Jane, say it to me, onboard me. Just, Just do it right now, Nate. Yeah. So remember, so during the interview, which we didn't talk about, mm-hmm. we'll tell them what the pay is. So right. it's not like I'm just randomly throwing out, hey, by the way, <laughs> five bucks an hour. Um, it's more like, hey, we talked about five bucks an hour before. I just want to confirm like you're 100% happy with that and you're good with what we talked about. And do you have any questions on the pay? Pretty can I, simple. Can I have 50 an hour? Yeah, I'd say sorry for the, for this role. If someone said that, I would probably walk away immediately. Because <laughs> there's no sense in like he being just like, likes oh, messing with you, man. <laughs> I'm just having fun, man. <laughs> no, it's true. I I, remember, yeah. I forget what business owner taught me that they were like, hey, if anyone ever like, it's like don't negotiate on that initial rate because right. if someone wants hmm. seventy and you you offer them sixty, they might take it because they really need a job right there, but they think they're worth seventy, so they're just going to keep right. looking for another job that pays them seventy. Well, oh, what if what point. if they have another job that's paying them more? Then what do you do in that scenario? Yeah, then it comes down to how good the interview was and, and how what bad you want them for this role. And we've done this before where we said, hey, Jane, that was a great interview. We want to hire you at five. And Jane says, hey, I just got another job offer at 550. And we she crushed that interview. Like we were super pumped that she yeah. was going to start. Hey, we'll offer you 575. Right. But maybe she's lying to negotiate. Maybe she just She's lying. She's like, oh yeah, this is a good idea. I mean, do you not just not worry about it? Like she could be, we don't know, but it's worth it. It's a conversation that I have with my business partner. And if it was an average interview, maybe we don't do it. If she knocked the interview out of the park and we think that she's the perfect fit for our company. Yeah. We'll pay her the extra 75 cents an hour. Even if it's possible, she made that up. 
Yeah. I mean, we try during the interview process, we interview them for their honesty as well as communication attitude and stuff like that. So we've gotten a pretty good sense of their attitude before we even got to the onboarding phase. And if we can't tell if they're BSing us by then, then we got a lot of stuff coming. So we're very confident (laughs) in our our interview process to, to, to vet that out. That's cool. So let's go back now. I love this. Let's go back to the onboarding. So oftentimes in onboarding, you said that a mistake employers make is they don't and tell me if this is the right term for you, calibrate on, okay, so Nate, we talked about $5 an hour. Just want to make sure you're good with that. Was that done well? Yeah, that's the first part of it. Okay, (laughs) assuming, assuming Nate, that I'm good with that. What was the reason? I think I know, but I want you to say this for everyone listening. What was the reason you restated $5 an hour, even though I already knew in the interview it would be $5 an hour? There's, I know there's a reason for it, but what is it? Right. Because things sometimes change. So we're not onboarding usually on the same day that we're interviewing. So in between the day or two, like maybe she got another job offer. Maybe she thought about the role because she got more information for the interview. And she's like, oh, this seems like a lot of work. I want the job, but I'm not going to be happy at five bucks an hour. Or I mean, it could be it could be anything. I know that pay is a a huge issue that blows up later. If you're not 100 percent on the same page with pay up front, that's the first thing that's going to blow up down the line. And from my own experience, that's happened where we didn't do that double confirmation. And down the line, the VA says, man, this is more work than I thought I did. And I said, yeah, but during the interview, I told you it was five bucks an hour. And they said, yeah, but in between there, I thought about it, but I accepted the job anyway, because I didn't think you'd go up. And Hmm. I'd much rather the VA says, hey, I think this job is worth six bucks an hour than for us to figure that out in two months after I've invested time, energy and money into that. Excellent. So you're really calibrating with them. You're making sure they are emotionally in agreement with that number. Nothing's changed. You can move forward. Okay, keep going. You you said there's more to this onboarding and mistakes that employers tend to make. Yeah. So the next is I'm going to go over bonuses and raises because if I only give a dollar raise every year and she's expecting to make 10 bucks an hour by the end of the first year, that's not going to blow up on me now, but that's going to blow up on me at the end of the year. So I want to get ahead of that right away. I'm going to tell her what to expect when it comes to raises or bonuses. I'll I'll leave a little bit of plus or minus in there because stuff changes and the business has to do well and all there. But again, I want to make sure that they understand it and they're happy with that. And we're doing all this on Slack, by the way. So everything's in writing for us to go back to if we have to uh, down the line. So we go through raises and bonuses. We went through the rate. Then we take them through our sick method. This is a 20 to 30 minute conversation. Sick is S-I-C-C and it stands for schedule issues, communication, and culture. Let me and we're make gonna- sure I get this right. Your first acronym you said was BARF. Your next acronym is SICK. Yes. <laughs> well, it's memorable. It. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going, man. So schedule, I want to know what other clients does she have? What are the exact schedules for those clients? I want to make sure there's no overlap. I want to know how many hours a week she's working in total for other clients. Maybe she's already working 80 hours a week and then she's trying to add on my additional 40. I want to know what other commitment she has. Could she not work a certain time because uh, she has to drop her kids off at school? I want the full picture of what the schedule she can actually work is. And if I'm asking her to work US hours, I want to know, has she done that before? Or is hmm. she just going to be trying that for the first time on me, which is not what I want. That's a good, that's a good point. Then I'm going to go through issues. And there's five types of issues. If you've ever read on forums or whatever of people having issues with VAs, they're always complaining about personal issues, weather, uh, power, internet, and computer issues. Those are, are the big five. Mm. And for each issue, we want to know how often do you have each issue? Because they're going to have some of them at some point, but yep. what is the frequency? 
what is the backup plan for each issue? Because we don't work with VAs that don't have a backup plan. You can't just say, oh, my computer broke. I can't work for three weeks because it's at the shop. That doesn't fly. <laughs> and, and I want to know, how are you going to communicate that issue when it happens? Because if you just disappear for three days and you come back and say, hey, my power's back, I let them know up front, there's no job waiting for you when you come back. You have to communicate that with me, with my team. You have to be able to get a hold of us. And backup plans fail. Like even my best VAs, they had a good backup plan. It didn't work out, whatever reason, but they communicated to us and we were informed and we could make alternative plans. We weren't just waiting for the VA to pop up. So tell tell me about a time when, when a VA, Nate, when, when a VA, you had to fire them because they did not prove what you thought they were capable of doing, or they just came, kept coming up with excuses. My internet's out. And at some point you're like, Really? Or my mom died. My mom died. How many moms do you have? At what point were you like, you know what? Okay, this is it. I'm firing you. Can you tell us about a a situation where that happened? And everyone listening, the more detail you can share, obviously not their name, the more helpful for employers out there who I know struggle with this. Yeah. So with FreeUp, we had this amazing bookkeeper named Marius. And the reason that we're working with Marius is because I fired the bookkeeper before Marius. And the bookkeeper before Marius, there was a a Filipino holiday that I don't remember. Um, I think it was on a Friday. And on Thursday, he worked. And on Friday, he just didn't show up. And oh, I know him. this guy personally. No, I'm joking. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> on, on Friday, we called him. On Saturday, we called him. On Sunday, we called him. And on Monday, he showed up and he said, oh, yeah, it was a Filipino holiday. I just kind of assumed that you guys would, would know that. He didn't and tell we, you? No, we immediately fired him. And, and Come on, American. Really you should bookie. know about the Filipino <laughs> holidays. <laughs> Look it up on Google. <laughs> right. Wow. <laughs> okay. Makes sense. How many times? How many times do you allow anything like that to go on before you fire someone, you know, a different scenario. Maybe someone's doing, you know, their work is 80%, but not the hundred percent you needed. You give them feedback. Half the time they apply it, half the time they don't. It's kind of one of those really, man, it could go either way. I, I feel hopeful they could get better, but man, this is costing like me a lot of time. That's situation yeah, in my opinion. Give us something a little more like gray, you know what I mean? For employers who are really struggling with that. How do you know when to draw the line? Nathan. Okay. So we're jumping from onboarding to training here, but this is a really good, important thing. It's what I call the the training trap, which a lot of entrepreneurs fall into is they will invest time into training the virtual assistant, doing one-on-one training for the VA in that first week. And then they get to the end of the first week and the VA is kind of getting it. Not really. Maybe they're showing some signs, but you're you're on the fence, like you said. But then you're in a really tough position as an entrepreneur, because what do you do? Do you just fire them and you lose a week of your life? Or do you give them another week. And then what if they don't get it by the end of week two, then you're two weeks down and you want to avoid that position altogether. And the way that you avoid it is by having really good SOPs, really good standard operating procedures, but not investing one-on-one training time from the beginning. What we did at FreeUp, we had really long SOPs, some of them, not all of them, but some of them were 50 pages long. And so we would give them our customer service SOP. Real quick, real quick. Yeah. For people listening who may not have heard of what SOP is you know, is it an acronym for a cursor? What is it? What is it? Just real quick breakdown. What is an SOP? It's a standard operating procedure. It's a training manual for your business. Keep going. Cool. So we would give the VA that first week, we would just give them the SOP and say, read it and ask questions. And I would say, I'm there to support you. My team's there to support you. We will explain anything. We'll answer any question you have along the way. And at the end of the week, we're going to test you. And if your SOP is a page long, give them an hour. If it's 10 pages, give them a day or two. It doesn't have to be a full week, whatever makes sense for what your SOP is. But then you test them. And if they get 80% of it on their own, 
fantastic. I'll invest one-on-one training time, get them that last 20% or my team leader will. But if you test them at the end of the week and they're only getting 30% of it, Not I'm right going to pay... I'm going to pay them for their time because I believe in that. It doesn't Absolutely. cost much money. Yep. Um, but then I'm going to move on. I'm going to get someone else. And I, I always value my time over money. And when you do it that way, you avoid those training traps. And it also is a good test to see how good of a self-starter they are. Because if they can figure most of that out on their own, that means they can figure other things out on their own. And you kind of gave them like a, a gold a plate on a golden platter. Like, here you go. Yeah. Here's what you can do with it. And then it's kind of a, that's like a test project. We... Um, we're more familiar with hiring employees, but we do many test projects before we hire. And that's kind of a good example of that because it gives you a good feel without fully onboarding them. Yeah, it's funny because sometimes we're like, okay, this is your this is the basic one of the basic tests, your typing test, go. And the look is like, really? And, and then if they're doing this thing with their fingers, and for those of you guys who are listening in audio, they're doing the, what do you call it, chicken plucking? Like that's not going to work if this role requires a lot of communication and actually every single role requires a lot of communication. So it's interesting when you test them live, it's, it's fascinating. We, we've had people come in as copywriters. We'll sit them in rooms like, okay, here are the facts. You need to convince someone to buy this seed, plant a tree and why they need to plant this tree in their backyard. And you have to do it in a landing page and make sure that they are convinced to click the button. And then boom, we give them 30 minutes and come back and see how they did. And it is fascinating on both extremes, the results you get. So I love this. But the test you shared, Nathan, is a test of their ability to assimilate information, to apply intelligence, speed of understanding, all of that. What about on the character side? That doesn't test the character. I mean, maybe it does a little bit. But what about you get someone, you know, they blew the test out of the water. They didn't do 80%. Nathan, they got 90%. But- Two months later, you notice, you know, when they're supposed to start and you need them to be on the phones, let's say it's customer support by nine o'clock. Well, they're on the phones by nine ten, or they need to have something done. And instead of the deadline, meeting the deadline by Monday morning, it's Monday afternoon. And they always have a good reason for it not meeting that deadline. Where do you draw the line in that situation? They're smart. They're good at what they do. But there's obviously either personal or character issues going on that are starting to wear on you. We call our interview process the care interview process. And the the A in care stands for attitude. So we're vetting them for attitude up front. And if you vet for attitude properly, you avoid a lot of the issues down the line. But let's say you did vet for attitude and that stuff pops up. The way that we handle issues is all work stops immediately. One of the biggest mistakes that people make is there's issues going on, but they just keep letting the person work and work and work and work. Hmm. For us, all work stops. We take a step back, we meet with them, and we reset expectations. And we pull up the expectations from the onboarding. We have screenshots. We do everything on Slack. And we show them what our expectations were, what they agreed to, if there were any types of miscommunication, because that happens. Sometimes you assume something and maybe their other client did a different way, whatever it is. We do not leave that meeting unless we are on the same page with what those expectations are. And if we can't get on the same page during that meeting, that's really it. Usually you can, but we're getting on that same page in writing during that meeting over every little thing. Then we restart it again. And if they show up at nine, 10 the next day, and I made it clear, hey, you got to be on at nine and they confirm that in writing. Again, all work stops, take a step back, reset expectations again. If you're doing that three or four times, you got to replace them. Could you just recap? And if there's any gaps you didn't fill yet, fill them out. What are the main mistakes employers make for each of these four? Because I think this key right here is so important. Here's why I love this part, Nathan. How you start is going to impact how you finish. And if you start wrong, 
it's so hard to continue to scale and excel because your time gets sucked away by having to address issues. So take us through one more time the main mistakes of each of these four and any ones that you didn't have a chance to cover yet because I do like to ask random questions here and there and everywhere. <laughs> and you're 100% right. Proactive beats reactive every single time. It's like, hey, you can go get on a prescription drug for your health, or you could be go on a diet up front and take better care of your health. It's always better when you're hiring a VA to spend more time up front to prevent issues down the line. So with interviewing, we mentioned it's our care interview process, which stands for communication, attitudes, red flags, and experience. One of the biggest mistakes that I see, and this is what the R is for red flags, is entrepreneurs during the interview, they're looking for the right answers. What we try to teach people to do is you're looking for the wrong answers. What is this person telling you that shows you they don't have the experience you want, they don't have the attitude you want, or they can't communicate with you in the way that you need I once took a college class on how to do interviews and it didn't teach me how to do any job well. It just taught me how to BS interview questions. Like people, <laughs> people know how to do that. So as an entrepreneur, you have to be looking for the wrong answers the entire time. So you're Did saying you colleges, they have trained people how to get through an interview and deceive their potential employer, which means we as employers are responsible to better understand how to de-hack that system. A hundred percent. I love that. You got to dive deeper. Like if someone says something that's a red flag, you go deeper. You ask those follow-up questions. What, what's and an example? What, what's an example of a red flag? What's something someone might say that you're like, whoa, that's not, I'm concerned. Like anything. Yeah. I'll give you one of our favorite ones is response time during the interview. So we do one during, we do our interviews via Slack. If they're taking five minutes to respond to every question, that's a huge red flag. And I'll dive into that and say, Hey, like this interview is designed to be 40 minutes long. I need, can you please respond faster? And if I find myself doing that two, three, four or five times during an interview, I'm probably ending the interview right there. Wait, you're doing this over video or you're doing this over chatting? During, uh, via chatting. And I'll explain really? that because every, that's everyone's reaction. Yeah, I was about to ask that. I, I was like, what? Because you said five <laughs> minutes. You like, it take them five minutes. I'm like, you're waiting there five minutes. Like, hmm, I'm thinking, this is fascinating. Okay, I got lots of questions. <laughs> but keep going, keep going. So if their response time is more than five minutes, that concerns you because... All right, so let me answer the, the video question sure. first and then Go I'll explain that. Yeah, yeah. So, so how often are you really going to communicate with your virtual assistant like via Zoom? Like I have some VAs who do client-facing stuff and... For those people, I might do a, like an extra five or 10 minutes via video and have them send me an audio recording. But 99% of the time, I'm communicating with my VAs via Slack, via email. If I'm trying to do group calls, have you ever tried to do a group Zoom call with oh, 35 yeah. people in the Philippines? Oh, yeah. it, it, well, not it, in the Philippines, no. <laughs> even in the US, but yeah. in the Philippines, it, it, it's brutal. So we want to have everything in writing. We want to communicate during our interviews and onboarding in the same way that we're going to communicate with them during during regular working hours. Because again, if I do a Zoom interview with them and they're great on camera, but then we go to meetings and they're taking five minutes to respond to everything I type, that's going to be an issue. The other point okay. is some of my best virtual assistants, AA plus players, are terrible on video. They are shy. <laughs> they, they don't like being on video. They're uncomfortable. And I would have messed, missed out on some of my best hires. So that doesn't mm, mean that if you if you want to meet them face-to-face, you can't do like a five-minute like intro before the interview or after the interview, like do whatever yeah. you want there. Um, but 
keep everything in writing. You're going to want to have that in writing going forward and communicate with them in the method that you're going to actually communicate with them when they start working with you. That's interesting. So the interview isn't just about their answers. It's the method of communication needs to be the same as what you will be using when they're working for you. Therefore, if you brought them on video chat and they're terrible over video, you might judge them based on a skill that is irrelevant to the potential position. 100%. I've seen that happen all the time. Like I said, some of my best hires are just not good on camera, but they're amazing at everything else they do. Which is the most important thing. And it's easier to impress someone. Like if you, if, if someone's impressing you, then that could, that's kind of a red flag in some ways, because we're not looking for good talkers or unless they're sales, but we're not looking for people who are just trying to impress. We're looking for people who actually want to get the job done. I wonder if it helps to remove the emotional element of interviewing. Cause one of the biggest weaknesses I've heard in interviewing anyone and this is actually, I'll be open, one of my weaknesses is you're subconsciously looking for people who are like you or that you naturally would like, or maybe they remind you of someone that you love or that you care for. And so without even realizing it, you're kind of ignoring red flags and honing in on the stuff that you want to hear. And before you know it, you hired someone absolutely terrible for that position, which is not just unfair to you, it's also unfair to them because it set unfair expectations. There was an article published that good-looking people, based on what the U.S. thinks is good-looking, um, make more <laughs> money than, than non-good-looking people. It's and true. that you kind of eliminate that by just keeping on Slack. Which is crazy, because right. I make a lot of yeah. money, so obviously I don't fit that, <laughs> that standard, but you know, that's really cool. <laughs> okay, this is awesome. So let's just go back again. So on interviewing, you mentioned you do it over chat and you're looking for red flags, and one red flag might be there's a delay. Is there anything other mistake you wanted to add to the interviewing or that people out there, I mean, Nate, listen, there are people right now watching this, and they're asking, please help me understand how to hire. And by the way, guys, you're talking to the outsource school master. I've known, I've known Nate back when he was building FreeUp. L- let me just do this. We didn't plan this at all. Josiah, what did I say about Nate in general not anything specific, but yeah. over the years, what have I told you about him? We did not plan this at all, brother. Yeah. Just totally transparency. Well, one of the things that hopefully I remember <laughs> is uh, one of the things you just said, he's a likable guy and you, you liked uh, talking with him and you respect that he built free up from scratch and that he did it at such a young age. I mean, even back in the day, I don't know if you still do this or not, and you may be, you would post these questions on Facebook, and I could tell you were doing a really good job of trying to get interaction. You were very thoughtful about those questions that you asked to build up community. And you also were persistent every now and then in reaching out to me on Facebook and just saying, hey, you want to collaborate? What about this? And like, I respect that. You have, you built, guys, let me just say this again. He sold a freaking eight-figure business. Nate, how old are you? 31. He's 30 freaking one. So like he's in the middle age between me and Josiah. I'm 42. Josiah's 19. Nate is 31. That's really, really young for selling an eight figure business. Built it from scratch. And you only started with what? 5K, right? 5K. 5K, zero money on ads, no advertising, had no office, no US employees. Sorry, US, we still like you. (laughs) But still, like, I just hope this gives you guys massive hope on what you can do. No one walked up to Nate and said, hey, Nate, let me make it easy for you. Here's a $500,000 check. Here's a plush office. Here's extra free training. No, he found a way and he and his business partner hustled their asses off. And that's why he is here on the Jodcast today. You guys know this. I will not bring someone on here who I do not believe in. And guys, we're just getting started. So 
But we have to wrap this up soon as well, which by the way, you guys are just getting like a teaser. Like, have you ever guys ever walked through Costco back in the days when there was more retail brick and mortar shopping and they had those samples? They probably wouldn't allow that in light of COVID. And you could eat those yeah. samples and it made you just hungrier. And then you buy a lot more groceries. It's a really smart move. <laughs> but it's true. The food was so good. You were getting a sample of what Nate and his team teach in their outsourcing school. In fact, one commitment Josiah and I made when we interview people, we're going to interview people that we actually want to talk to, help us to grow. I'm already have so many cool ideas. I don't know about you, but like, oh, yeah, this has been, totally. all, I mean, dude, we haven't even spent an hour and we're like, wait, this is awesome. Wait, this is awesome. <laughs> like, it's so cool. So I want you guys to know, in fact, let's do this right now. And then we're going to get back to the content. Nate, where do they go? Where can someone go right now if they want to learn more about what you guys do and what you offer? Yeah, go to outsourceschool.com and I actually have a coupon for you guys. If you use just one dime, you save 15% on the Outsource School membership. And if you've liked some of these hacks, some of these secrets, we give you the exact blueprint that we use. Everything from the exact interview questions, meeting templates. We have SOPs ready to go that you can plug into your business and a lot of great stuff to help you build teams faster. And I will tell you this, as someone who's been in business for a good number of years now, as someone who has failed many, many times along my way to millions, I am buying this course because I know that Josiah and I need it. And therefore, you need to do yourself a favor and go get it. I'm not an affiliate. Am I getting paid for this, Nate? I don't think so. Nope, I'm not. <laughs> He's a nice guy. No, <laughs> no seriously, I'm, if I was affiliate, I'd tell you. So there, I have zero monetary motivation for this, but I'm telling you now, you need to go get the course if you want to save money on costs that are going to cost you so much more time and money than you can imagine. You guys heard our podcast back in 2019. That was the hardest time of our business. And guess what it was around, revolved around? Trying to find and hire the right people. So let's go back to it. So Nate, you talked about mistakes in interviewing. Are there any in onboarding that we can know about? Yeah, so onboarding, we talked about the SICK method. We talked about rates. I think we we didn't do touch upon the last two Cs, which are communication and culture. Uh, culture, real quick, figure out, I could talk about culture for an hour, but figure out what your culture is and make sure the person knows that no matter how good they are, uh, it's not going to work out if they're not a good culture fit. But for communication, make sure you tell people what tools you use. You'd be surprised hmm. what VAs don't like certain tools. The biggest example is Time Doctor. Like, I personally don't believe in, in tracking VA's times. I have a lot of other methods to figure out what they're doing and whether they're actually doing it. And I think it hurts trust. But if you're going to do that, tell them that upfront because right. I've seen clients who have spent a month training a VA and then said, Oh, by the way, training's done. Start using Time Doctor tomorrow. And the VA is there and they're like, Wait a second, you never Whoa. mentioned that. I wouldn't have taken this job if you told me that. And then yeah. both sides are in a really bad place. So go over all the channels you use, how you use each channel, and what tools you use. What's just one question or one tactic or method you could give us that helps someone to know or find out if a potential VA is a good cultural fit? Yeah. So I, I always, you want to avoid virtual assistants where money is their, their number one thing. Now everyone yeah. cares about money on some level, sure. but if money's the thing that you care about more than anything else in the world, there's always going to be in someone else who can pay your virtual assistant more money than you can. So yeah. when you're talking about what someone cares about, I want to hear something like, I care about stability. I care about learning and self-improvement, which is a great one. I want to be a part of something. I want to be around a company that gives me leadership responsibilities, hmm. really anything other than how much money am I going to make by the end of year two? 
That's really good because it also takes away your negotiating power. Because you said there's always someone who can pay them more. You're exactly right. So if you if if money's the main thing, then you can't forever and ever negotiate on that. That's you lose your leverage. But if stability is one of their main things, that's something you can offer if you have a stable business that is long lasting or cultural fit, which you should have anyways. Exactly, exactly. So you know what's cool about this, Josiah, I'm thinking, and Nate, is we're looking at assets. We're looking at not just the cost. So natural for employers to think about that. Do they have the skills? Do I have to pay them more than I can afford? That's the two things that just go to their mind. What about all these other factors that matter? And not only does it give you better negotiating position, but it actually helps that VA more because now they're working for a company that can provide what they're looking for, which isn't just money. And you're actually helping someone you want to help. I'll be honest. If someone's only interested in money, I don't want to help them. You know, I didn't become an Amazon seller just because I wanted money. That money was a means to an end so I could have freedom. time, exactly, with my wife to take her on dates. Like that to me is more precious than any money could anyone give. That's the kind of people I want to help. So you're literally, you're, you're, it, it's almost like a way of finding people that align with your values, which is super yeah. cool. 100%. You made me think of something. So someone, one of our members was asking me the other day about breaks. Like, how do, do I give them a 30 minute break each day, an hour break each day? And <laughs> that, that's just like one of the easiest wins that you can just make for a virtual assistant. like, right. hey, what do you want? Do you want two half an hour breaks? Do you want your breaks a certain time? Do you want flexibility there? Like within reason, I'm going to give them whatever they want there because I don't really care when they take a break and it's just going to make it, maybe their other clients not willing to have that flexibility. And it's just an easy W in the win column. So find small things like that, that they care about that don't affect your business in any way and make it a really great situation for them. Super, super practical question. What tool do you like to use with VAs for man- for task management, deadlines, details? Because you don't want to just be chatting them all day and answering questions. Like it's easier to put it into a tool. Do you have a tool you recommend? Yeah. So for, we use our own software called Simply SOP for the actual SOPs. And that's part of the Astro School membership. If you join, we use Trello to keep track of the projects and we divide it, we divide it into day-to-day tasks, short-term projects and long-term projects, which is another good hack there is if you hire a VA full-time, always give them short and long-term projects. So if they run out of day-to-day work, they just default to working on those other projects for you. Um, and then for communication, we use Slack for day-to-day emails for responding within a business day and Viber for emergencies. Gotcha. So I would love to do like an interview of you guys and Josiah, you talk about the virtues of Asana (laughs) and you talk about the virtues of, (laughs) did you say Evernote? Trello. Trello, sorry, Uh, Trello. 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 Yeah, yeah, Trello. Yeah, that would be so cool because we've tried (laughs) Trello. we've used Trello before. And we used Evernote and we used, what was the other one? Teamwork projects or something? That one, oh my goodness. (laughs) I convinced you to use that one. (laughs) We love Asana, but this is super cool. Um, Okay, so you talked about mistakes with interviewing, mistakes with onboarding. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to end this conversation now. We're just going to all give share one last thing because I want you who are watching, again, to go to, where do they go? Outsourceschool.com. Outsourceschool.com. And when they get to the coupon box, what do they type in, Nathan? Just one dime saves you 15% on what we call Outsource School Insider, which is access to all of our secrets, our hiring process, our SOPs, our software, our membership, our community, and our support as well. And I just want everyone listening, that is a gift to you from Nathan, from Josiah, from Seth. Um, We don't get that 15%. That is literally just for you because we love you guys. 
Uh, thank you for your support and all that you've done. Before we close, wrap this up, I do have a question I want to ask each of us. This is actually fascinating. So each of us represents a different decade. I represent the 40s, not the 1940s, I promise, <laughs> but I'm 42. Nathan, you represent the 30s. And Josiah, you don't even represent the 20s yet. You're still in the teens. Almost. <laughs> oh, man. So I'm going to start with you because you're the youngest and I love putting you on the spot. So what advice or encouragement or anything in line to this conversation would you give to our followers who are watching or listening right now? Just anything that you've learned since you've been doing business and we've been building this and all the struggles and the victories and everything. To people in their teens or just to anyone? To anyone. And take your time. Yeah. So regarding this conversation, I think the most important thing is just finding the right people who more than their hard skills, finding the people with the right character, because hard skills is a lot easier to find, in my opinion, than people that actually fit your company and that are easy to work with. Because we've worked with lots of people. Yeah. And it's really difficult to find, at least for us, the people who work well with other people. Yeah. So that's my number one piece of advice is find people that fit your company and that have good character because that will help you in the long term. What about you, Nate? Any last minute words? Yeah, so I think we live in the best time for trial and error. And one of the best things with virtual assistants is it's not very expensive to try lots of different things. When I started selling on Amazon, there were no courses, there were no gurus. It was a lot of experimenting. When yep. I started free up, I had no idea how to market because Amazon had done all my marketing up until that point. And I tried <laughs> lots of different things, going on podcasts, learning what SEO is. And I, I like to focus on low risk, high reward situations where I can hire a VA for a few weeks to try something or do it myself if I don't want to hire someone. And if it's starting to work, double down, do more of it. If it's not working, pull back, revisit it later. And yes, there, there's lots of great resources now that didn't exist before, but complement that with trial and error and figuring out what actually works for your business. Excellent. And my last words to you guys, hopefully not the last time, but my last words for this episode <laughs> are stay hungry, stay teachable and keep learning. Like every single day, you should be doing something that makes you afraid and doing or learning something new every single day. And if you let that stop, you might lose passion. You might lose energy. You might lose focus. Even on the days when you're really struggling, you might be overwhelmed. Remember, if you take time to invest in yourself, do something that scares the heck out of you, learn something new, you're going to be a happier person and you're going to be so much more effective and you're just going to have more joy. Nate, thank you so much, man, for being here. We have to have you back another time to finish up. I think we got through maybe 3% of the questions. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. We'll do it again. Awesome. For See you sure. next time. <laughs>